welcome to Daring to Care, the social care podcast. Thanks very much for joining us and uh, this episode we are going to be talking to Alex Murphy, the current and sadly outgoing CEO of the Care Workers Charity, uh, amazing charity focused very much around care workers and care providers and that's exactly what we're going to talk about in this episode so hope you enjoy, hope you are inspired by some of the things that the charity is doing and where it's come from in the last 18 months and the energy that um, Alex has put into it along with um, the rest of the board of trustees. So we are available on Twitter so if you want to ask some questions to myself and Alex about this episode we are at dare2carepod that's two the number two so that's dare number two care pod and also you can email me directly at me at adamhutchison.com that's me at adamhutchison.com and hopefully I can help answer some questions and uh, we can get engaged with other episodes and other questions and people that we're going to be interviewing throughout the series. So I hope you enjoy. Thanks for joining us. And here is Alex talking to myself earlier on this week. Hello there and welcome to the Social Care Podcast, uh, Daring to Care. And today I'm absolutely delighted because we have Alex Ramler murphy with us, the current CEO of the Care Workers Charity, a charity that those who know me is really close to my heart as a, as a, as a board of trustee member. And one of the things is we're here to talk about is getting under the skin of the charity, trying to get uh, a little bit of detail from Alex about the importance of it to the sector and um, why he chose it. So, Alex, for those of people who don't know, how dare they not understand about this charity, um, give us a little bit of a, a praise of what the charity is all about. Yeah, thanks, Adam. So, um, CWC is the Benevolent Fund for the Care Sector. So that means we support anyone who works within care for a registered service, and it's important to say anyone, not just frontline care workers, um, with hardship grants of up to £500, which are treated as gifts from us, and information and advice on a range of money, health, and well-being topics, and these are the things we know from our research that worries care workers the most. Good. And why do you think that people would want to get involved in the charity in terms of providers? What do you think? What do you think would be the, the, the selling point to say we should be involved in the charity? Where's its pit? Well, I mean, we all know that recruitment retention is is the biggest problem facing the sector right now. So, from a from a business standpoint, the charity is there to support those staff when they fall on hard times. And and what I know from going around and speaking to care workers and from our own, they need support, and certainly not from their employers. And so, a lot of the time, they're going through these problems, and it could meaning they drop out of work, which is um, factoring into this recruitment retention piece. But just in general, care workers, employees, they're the lifeblood of these providers. And uh, we've got one of Britain's largest workforces. Um, it absolutely should be on the agenda for providers to get involved. So what made you, where did it come from? What made you get involved in the charity? How did it, how did it come about? And what, what, what was exciting for you as being as a proposition? So since I've been young, I've always had this entrepreneurial spirit, getting involved in some questionable activities, all the way through to, to startups from university. And it was probably about 2014 that I, it sounds quite corny, but I found a real passion for improving quality of life in, in, in old age. At the time, I was working for a startup that was building technology to reduce loneliness and isolation. We ended up demoing that tech to the Queen following an invite to the palace, which was incredible, and then as a telemedicine tool across the NHS. 
So that was my intro into health and social care. Right. And where my desire to combine this entrepreneurial mindset and love of technology with this newfound passion to improve quality of life for older people. You know, my grandma, she spent, this is quite strange really, but she spent 12 years in a care home in Battersea, one of Bupa's largest homes, talking 190 beds. We live very close to Battersea, so I'd spent 12 years seeing her, visiting her, speaking to the residents, listening to the staff. And I became very close with some of the staff. Um, and that is where the kind of real introduction drive to work within social care came from. Right, okay. And that's quite a positive change and influence, which I mean, one of the things that I've always talked about is how we don't see enough of that external sort of want to come into the sector. Mm-hmm. So do you, where do you think that, that, that driver was really important? And is, is, do you feel that there's a work within the charity that can enable people to get that sort of message out to others that want to get into the sector? Do you think that's an important part of what we could be doing? Yeah, absolutely. So certainly through, okay, so with my business brain on, entrepreneurial brain on, certainly through initiatives like the Care Innovation Challenge, which I set up with a few people, so Ben Allen, Ben Wilkins and Ash Goyle, um, our whole idea about starting that was to drive more young people and entrepreneurs into the care sector. We feel there's a real lack of that. You've got some, some great young minds there, but they're very few and far between. And I'm just thinking about myself. You kind of touched on it, personal reason. I kind of tripped into the care sector because it started off as a very commercial organisation building technology for the NHS. Yes, we were addressing loneliness and isolation. And, and then um, with more involvement with my grandma, I, I felt like I wanted to do something more in that space. But when I left university, I had no desire to join the care sector. And I think very few people do because it feels like a very unsexy sector to join. Now, forgetting the whole personal reason, um, you know, the, the social conscience and social desire to join something like that. Just from a business standpoint, there's huge opportunities there. And through the Care Innovation Challenge, we're trying to show those opportunities um, and show what commercial mindsets can bring to the table and what young, innovative mindsets can bring to the table by addressing those. And I would love to do that through CWC. We've actually stolen one of my questions there, Alex, because I was going to talk about the Care Innovation Challenge because I, I thought that was a really inspiring way to start leading people into health and social care because I think it's always been a concern and it's something that I've, I, I feel that we should be addressing as a sector. It's about, and it sounds really bad, how do we make it sexy? How do we make it enjoyable? How do we make it for somebody to go, I know, I want to go into that sector. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't necessarily feel like there's a lot of that happening. And what you did with the, um, as being one of the founders of that was, was actually quite inspiring. What did you find people began to address on that? Was there any sort of really interesting sort of things that you enjoyed from it? Yeah, what was really enjoyable was going out to the sector, telling them about this new initiative, asking them, what are your biggest challenges? Now, of course, we know about these, these big challenges. Recruitment retention was the, the key one, and I'm very... Lucky to say that Neil Eastwood of Saving Social Care, who you know, came and helped us out quite a bit with that. Um, but going and getting them and then reading the Google Sprint book and turning it into our own mini hackathon weekend where Ben Wilkins was fantastic, went out to the universities and got 25 students 
into our office in Wimbledon for this hackathon weekend. We had the um, key themes on the board, got them to run how might we's with post-it notes solve these problems, make iterative improvements to each other's, how might we's, then form teams, talk about ideas that they wanted to work on over this weekend, and then actually go out and prototype it. We had one guy who came with what looked like this huge toolbox, builder's toolbox. He ended up using um, a soldering kit to turn a smint packet into a full sensor. And he did that in a six hour period. He had a working prototype. Come Sunday, the teams pitched to us for as judges. We then got them to storyboard their ideas, gave them a month of mentorship for the top four teams. And um, I guess the reason why I'm going into this detail is the sector loved it. They were very open to giving us these ideas and stuff to work on. And we had several chief execs that came to the judging day. But the Department for Health and Social Care and the Cabinet Office picked it up under Charlotte Bright and hosted us for the final. We actually had one of the deputy ministers there as the judge. And then at the end, we turned around and said, look what four guys can do outside of their day jobs with no funding or very little funding um, and with 25 university students over a five week period. Just think what we could do if we could scale this and get a little bit of funding. So since then we have had some money um, promised to us and we're going to turn it into an annual accelerator or hackathon weekend. And let's just see, some of the ideas that came out were fantastic. Now interestingly, because they were university students, some of them were needed to finish their exams and their university and they were looking at it as a bit of a design project rather than a business that they would actually go and start. So there's two things there. One, I feel like next time we're going to look at some later stage, maybe people who are, who are graduates and are okay. ready to start their business. Or two, let's keep doing the university side of things, but just pump out ideas, maybe give them some equity and sell those ideas to business-minded individuals that can go and set that up. And that's the really interesting stuff that people want to hear happening within the sector, because actually... Again, you've hit the nail on the head. Exactly what I asked was, how do we make it sexy? How do we make it? You know, there's so much energy being placed into certain startup organisations, businesses that are looking to try and generate certain ways of working, and we need to be doing that in this sector because that's really key to it to, to create a driver. So that's really great to hear um, that that a bit about the social innovation challenge. And, and like I said, Alex sort of bypassed my my questioning, and I'm going to kind of come a bit full circle, but now and talk about. What do you feel the vision of the charity is now is with, with those sort of things in mind? Because one of the things that you know, Alex has alluded to here is his, is, is his brilliance in moving the charity forward from where it was, which was essentially a benevolent fund that didn't really do much, to now being probably one of the most effective charities, growing charities in the sector. So tell me how much it was raised the, the first, when you first came in and what it raised recently. Figures. Yeah, Let's so, shock people with some numbers, Alex. <laughs> That's what we like December, to hear. December 2016 started, let's set the scene, no employees, um, a disengaged trustee board. And that's not having a pop at the trustees. That's just saying we had some brilliant minds and we still do, but um, they were just disengaged because they were struggling. They had their own businesses to run and it was essentially being run by volunteers, by their own teams. So zero employees, £50,000 in the bank, no office, um, and what we managed to do was breathe new life with myself and, and Ben, 
first six months was startup mode. It literally was just me. But let's get to those numbers. So <laughs> at the end of 2017, we took income from 16,000 to 275,000, circa 275. We awarded more hardship grants last year than the previous seven years combined, which is since inception of the charity. And then various other things around the supporters club, which was launched, which what I'm proud about there is we managed to engage with over 50 providers. There was a real desire, your first question about why should providers come on board? There was a real desire to support the charity. And I think they loved the fact that these youngish people were taking it on and applying quite an entrepreneurial growth mindset towards it. But through that supporters club, we, they employed over 100,000 care workers. So right there, yes, income is important, but the first six months I was walking around, no one knew about the charity. No one knew about it. So actually, there's no surprise they weren't able to award grants in previous years. So just through that supporters club, we were able to get out to 100,000 care workers who didn't know we existed. 2018, continued to smash it. So uh, what are we? We're in um, September now that we're recording this. We've just hit half a million income, uh, closed. So I'm hoping that we'll, we'll end the year um, at about 550, which is incredible. It's way above my target. And um, in terms of... As he says with a big grin on his face there. <laughs> <laughs> Self-setting of targets. So that was that's impressive. I like it. Well done. <laughs> Just to give you some visual there, obviously difficult with the podcast. So. <laughs> um, we're going to deliver... We're going to double the amount of grants that are awarded. We've invested... We've got 50,000 to invest in new services. I don't think we're going to spend that. But what I am excited about is... We are launching new services and piloting them to try and address prevention and not just cure. And that was a problem that I've got and a challenge that I face whilst being imposed is there's a certain need for giving cash in some situations and the grant, um, the, the grant supports that. But actually there's a real feeling that we're putting a plaster on a much bigger problem because when People come to us, they come to us in very dire situations. And when someone comes to me and they've got £20,000 worth of debt, a £500 grant is just going to do nothing. So um, what we want to try and do is get to the crux of those issues and, and try and get people pre-crisis. And my team are testing financial capability workshops. They're going to test stress, mental well-being in the workplace and stress in the workplace workshops and train uh, e-modules and then we're also going to address salary stretching helping people's salaries go further through an EAP scheme either sold to employers um, using the group buying power of the charity to deliver a, a great deal for the sector but also an income stream or potentially as a charitable offering you know maybe I could provide a care worker with access to a salary stretching platform that will allow their salary to go £800 further through discount, they only cost us £10 a year. So these are things that um, we're testing that I'm, I'm really looking forward to. It sounded like you were asking me to follow in there, but really looking forward, I suppose really excited things to hear, but really powerful messages that go back to to the providers and also people within the sector in the fact that we're focusing on not just financial 
return, shall we say. We're actually trying to solve the problem, which goes back to what you were talking about in terms of sex in general, about being proactive rather than reactive, because you're trying to find proactive solutions to try and make people feel um, as if they're getting the benefits. So I suppose the word that's always used is signposting, isn't it? People want to be signposts, and it's that support. How have you found, I know within the charity, you utilise the champions as, you know, sort of getting people within the organisations to help push things forward? How have you found that strategy? Because that's got to have some real power, because it's probably hard for some people to admit that there's a problem to your eye or their business owners or, um, you know, their line managers, but their actual, you know, colleagues and peers might find it a little bit easier. How, what, what's being done to sort of grow that network and what can we do as, as sector contributors to try and help grow that? Yeah, you're quite right. So, well, let me just pick up an example. So we, we've had uh, this lady that came to us um, a while ago. So an example I use quite a bit. Um, she suffers with rheumatoid arthritis. Okay. And she came to us because she was finding it more and more difficult to get into and out of her bath at home. Um, the rheumatoid arthritis was particularly bad in her feet and of course being on her feet all day in a care home mm. which is where she's worked for the last 10 years really wasn't helping um, now this lady she didn't want to admit she needed help um, especially to her employer and what she ended up doing was dropping out of work she drops out of work because she stopped being able to wash herself she stopped being able to get into that bath and um, because of that she had this real fear of what the people that she cares for and indeed her employer would think about her when they hugged and smelt her. Now, thank, thankfully, this lady was able to find out about us and she was able to, and she asked for support and we were able to help. But um, the majority of the time, people won't. And the idea of the champions is for us to empower someone within a care home, home care branch or locality to spot those signs, to spot that, Ooh, colleague A has not come in today or maybe is feeling a bit down, why don't I go over and speak to them? And it's a softer sell talking about the charity or potentially just getting in touch with us and saying, I've spotted something. I think maybe you might want to get in touch with um, my friend and see if you can help. So the, that's the bigger piece for champions is to be that ambassador and to spot the early signs and be a signposter for their colleagues. The other side is um, raising awareness and doing some much needed fundraising. We've had champions that have jumped out of planes, champions that have, well, we've had several. I think I've seen that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's been incredible and they're having a lot of fun whilst they're doing it. Yeah. You've got providers like Avery who take quite a different approach to fundraising. So they... From top down, they say every single one of you, you 50 odd homes or however many they've got, will do this for this charity on this day. And, and our Care Workers Charity Day was, uh, I think it was the end of, whenever it was, uh, end of July. And it was around the theme going at Shamar. Now, what is telling is they do Macmillan Days, they do all sorts. Now, what is telling is for a charity that is very unknown, they actually raised last year the most for us and that's because the rhetoric works you know you, you humanize it you talk about a lot of the people that we've helped and you can see stories on our website and those that are working on the front line can can listen to those stories and um, it really hits home because no doubt they'll know someone that they've worked with or that they're working with who had a similar been in a similar situation 
do with our support. And so it really feels like um, everyone comes together uh, and there's a real camaraderie in the sector, which I love. Which was lacking, I think, for a while. I, I, I hadn't seen something quite like that until, until I got involved in the charity. And it was interesting that you, you actually made a, a talk at a recent awards um, that we were at together. Um, uh, and after it, I had people coming up to me who knew me but didn't know you, who were saying oh, they can help so-and-so within our organisation. Can we know more? And it was, I suppose it's getting that message across to some of the, to the whole sector, because mm -hmm. it's great to hear the stuff that, that, that the large providers are doing. Obviously, they're the lifeblood of supporting it. Mm -hmm. But in turn, it's making sure that all care provision can hear about it. And I think that those types of stories are what's really important. It's great to see that they're engaged with this, like you said, the humanistic sort of approach to... To, to, to teams wanting to be engaged with the charity, which has essentially been set up for them. But frustratingly, it had been around for over a decade, but nobody really... I suppose, it's, again, it's all down to that new way of engaging people, isn't it? Why did you join the board as a trustee? What were the reasons for it? I'm just a very, you know, I'm being asked the questions now. I joined the board because I felt like I've always had a passion to feel that there was the employees and care members and care teams, the wider volunteers, everything within the care organisation I don't feel was supported in the way that they needed to be supported. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of always my passion to try and, to, to try and focus on, on giving something back in that, that sort of way. I thought the charity was just a great opportunity to do that mm -hmm. um, and really understand what other businesses were doing. Um, so it was, you know, to work on that best practice. Mm -hmm. Another reason why we've set this, this entire podcast up is to try and get people working collaboratively because I actually think that that's going to be the long-term success. So it was the opportunity to have, to have influence on mm -hmm. something that was going to add back to people who work in the sector. That was my key driver from it. So it was an absolute honour to be asked. But where do you, so if we could wave a magic wand, where would you see the charity in, say, five years' time? The key is the signposting element. I would say in five years' time, it won't be about the money that's raised. It's about the measurement of what we're doing for people. Yeah. So we know that any, every single person within the care sector can have an outcome that's measured by the charity. Um, and I think that will really will be the big tick in the box for me. That's what I would like to see. And I, I want it to be up there to help that, that recruitment and retention. I want people to want to come into the sector because there's a value out of why they would want to be involved in it. And it's growing that wider interpretation of why it's important to work in this sector. Mm -hmm. I think that, 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 that's just so important now. You know, I've talked about it so many times and, I, and I'll probably say it over and over again at different, different episodes of this podcast, but what I really want to change is when, if you have young people who go to school and they, don't, and they don't aren't so academically, they don't enjoy academics or it hasn't been pushed into people which it isn't, not everybody's strong point is there. But what I want to get away from is that if you don't do that well in your GCSEs, that you're then told to do an NVQ in adult social care. Because what are we telling people? Yeah. That's the wrong message. What we want to is guiding people to say, I want to do that because of these reasons. And I think the charity could be a conduit to that. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what's really important to me. It's just two things you touched on there. On the signposting, what, what's it really interesting if we look at some data, um, for our grant applications, 70% are dropping off because we can't help them, because they don't meet our criteria. Um, and 30% of those who apply for a grant are receiving one, which sounds quite low, but that's actually above industry standards for a benevolent fund. But for me, that just um, 
I don't care that it's above industry standard. That's still, for every 100 people, 70 were not able to help. So the signposting element is huge. And we're actually addressing that now by having formal partnerships with people like Macmillan and Cavill Nurses Trust. So we get a lot of, of nurses for the NHS that don't meet our criteria or family carers, unpaid carers. And so we have formal partnerships, but we've, we've built the signposting map and we're going to ensure in the future that every single one, 100% of people that apply for a grant will get through to the right place and somewhere that can help them. I think that's key. Well, it is key. Which well, the way in which the, the, the growth is going to come from it, isn't it? Exactly. So, well, the second thing... Um, <laughs> There's a second. <laughs> the second thing was, it's a real bugbear of mine. So you've touched on career progression in, yeah. in the sector. Huge bugbear of mine, and I'm sure we'll talk about what I'm moving on to. Um, but if I was to stay involved as chief exec, heavily involved in the charity for, say, another year or so big mission for me would be to try and address the perception of what it is to be a care worker. Yeah. It's, it's totally unprofessionalised in the media, which is pathetic. It's True. It's totally untrue. Do you think the word itself doesn't help, carer? Yeah, I, I struggle with that. So when I think of carer, I think unpaid, family carer, yeah. and then care worker as a care professional. But I only have that distinction because, because I've spent two years in, in this sector. Prior to that, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't know. And then, of course, you have caregiver and various other yeah. guises. Um, but yeah, you're quite right. But so I tell you one problem: um, if let's say we went for care professional, yeah. Well, the the charity was called the Care Professionals Benevolent Fund in 2010 to whenever it was 2012, and they took the decision, the trustees and the owners at the time, to change it to make it softer because actually a lot of people that work within care, let's say the domestic staff, the chefs, and so on, they saw care professionals benevolent fund, and they didn't see themselves as a care professional. And of course, us as a charity, we support any one of them that works. Mm. So maybe there's a worry if you, if you did use that term professional, um, that some people who would be a professional, it is a professionalized role that they've got within the, the care home, um, they, they, they wouldn't associate themselves with that. I get, I'm mumbling a bit, but I'm wondering if that would be an issue. But yes, um, I do think that is an issue. But the, you look at other industries, like, or take the army, how much of a great effort and what great campaigns they've got for, for recruitment. And it's, um, it's something that a lot of people respect and a lot of people go into. I don't see why. We know recruitment and retention is one of the, the biggest challenges. We can't all come together. And I hear it from... You know, some of the membership bodies that they want to do this but, but they're not doing it why can't we come together and with help from government and put out a fantastic campaign so when the bad news stories come out which are inevitable mm. we, rec we don't hide behind them we recognise them but then we say well look here is 500 1000 good news stories where people are going the extra mile and what a great sector for this to join we should be celebrating care workers yeah. we shouldn't be demonising them it doesn't happen enough, does it? You don't have enough... Um, we don't have enough of those stories that are counter when you hear the bad. And I think that that's always been, been a frustration. But I, I always find that a lot of the good news stories tend to be in-sector press rather than external press. So we kind of defeat the objects. We tell ourselves how good everything is, yeah. but we don't necessarily then tell 
the world. And with the access to sort of social media the way it's gone for other industries, the healthcare industry is prime for, 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 for sort of social media presence. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to actually be doing an episode on that later down the line. So we're going to be talking to some marketing experts where we're going to be talking about how we can you know, utilise our, our, our marketing presence in a little bit better way, which is what you've done very well within the charity, may mm-hmm. I add, because it's, it, it gets the human pro- approach, because you're engaging with people on platforms that they're on every single day, you know, Facebook, Twitter, etc., Instagram, and those sort of things. Um, Do you know, it's been, it's, it's been, a lot of people would say, we're a very small, small team, we've gone from three to six in the last couple of months, and... I think a lot of people listening to this who have been in the sector, they probably would have seen our logo somewhere about. We've done very well at raising awareness of the charity and our cause and um, exposure at events and stuff. And a lot of people come up to me and say, oh, that's amazing. How have you guys done that? It's been incredibly easy. It's just leveraging support through the trustees. But just asking. I find a lot of people, they, they feel like um, maybe because it's a business, so we're forgetting the charity for a minute, but as a provider, we're in competition with other people. But actually, right or wrongly, I believe the sector's quite open to collaboration, or at least that's what they've shown with me at the charity. And it's been really easy to go around the awards, the um, different providers, and just say, look, how can you help me? How can we work together to, to raise the profile of this brand? How can I get my logo on your website? I just sent an email out to... 50 or providers saying, can you plonk our logo on your website with a backlink to us to help with our SEO? And about 70% of them have, have said yes. So I think the sector needs to be open to, to asking for, for help more. And, and yeah. I think the, it is very much around, and it's, I've certainly seen it myself in, in the last few years, is, is realising that we're actually not in competition with each other. Mm. And actually, because there's, there there's a lot of provider provision out there in all, t- in all forms of care. But actually, it's all about that end user experience, outcomes, measurements. And actually, it needs different voices and it needs different provision because actually we're there to support, help, knowledge share and actually it makes for a better sector and you see that a lot in 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 other industries so i think the time is certainly on us now where that's happening that's happening in 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 social care um and you know with with things like this you you mentioned a few names earlier on at the start of the podcast where you talked about neil from uh, from originally sticky people and saving social care author and he's you know going to be joining us um for, for an episode later on in the year and again, great guy. He's um, he's donated all royalties of his book to us. What a lovely guy! All royalties. <laughs> yeah. Goodness me, we will definitely be asking him about that when it comes up. Uh, and obviously, you mentioned Ben from Umph Wellness again, an extra, another conduit to adding a different spin on what you do within the sector. We're going to be speaking with him as well. And just in this conversation, we've talked about three or four different people who are all in the same sector but we all started to engage with each other and build that collaborative way of working which is you know behind other sectors but certainly exactly what we need to be doing moving forward and I suppose as a sort of final question into you Alex what's your next steps as a sector collaborator or a selector a sex sector contributor let's say where 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 do you see yourself uh, where you set where do you see your input moving 
Oh, so I feel very paternal about the charity. Very, very paternal. And I want to remain involved. Um, I, when I first met the board in November 2016 and Ben, I had a group of people turn around to me and say, right, we want to give you six months to either turn this around or we're going to close the doors. So I thought, great, uh, what a challenge. What a challenge and challenge accepted. It's now coming up for two years and I feel I've taken it, we've taken it to where we said we would and more. Yeah. And now we need someone who's got that five-year vision, five-year strategic plan and longer and who's going to see that out. And that's not me. And so I've recognized that. We found an incredible person that's going to be replacing me from November. And... Um, during this year, I've been spotting opportunities, and that's what an entrepreneur does. He sees opportunities and um, potential new ventures. And I've seen, um, I, I really believe in getting the most out of care homes for our lonely, older, and aging population. I'm very aware of the awful effects that loneliness and isolation can have on individuals. I hear from families, they don't want to commit their loved one into an institutional living situation such as a care home. I know that it was tough when my grandma was put on one. And what you end up having is you, you react when it becomes a crisis and then you just need one now. I hear from CEOs of care groups that they need to diversify their income due to um, fee pressures. So you combine all of those challenges and the solution is really obvious for me. Adult daycare and care homes a solution. So I'm going to build a web platform where care homes can rent out their communal space to host adult day clubs. Think Airbnb for, uh, for daycare. But this is just phase one. Daycare and care homes doesn't, um, you know, it doesn't massively excite me. I, I, I want to do something transformational. So this is phase one. Phase two will be to build out this marketplace to take on different verticals like step down beds from the NHS home care provision, and suddenly you build out this, um, well, conduit, this, the marketplace for people looking for care and people that are providing care, where it's got a super slick user experience with the user at the heart of everything. You know, Martin Green, I'm gonna butcher this, um, <laughs> this story, but Martin Green talks about when you are going on holiday, you, um, you drive to the airport, the airport is owned by a a provider, a organization. You then get on a plane owned by another organization, pass through several different time zones in over several different countries, and then you land in a different airport. You don't know it's owned by X, Y, Z, and so on and so forth. You just know you're going on holiday. You go from A to B. And unfortunately, within health and social care, it's just too fragmented. It's not joined up. I, I don't care you know, who's in charge of the GP practice and then I need to go to this hospital, this private practice here and then into this care home owned by X. I just want it to be all joined up and, and that is hopefully what I'm going to be um, trying to address with this marketplace in the long term. Sounds exciting. I look forward to you coming telling me more about it if that's, if that's something that's going to be an option. Absolutely. Um, Sounds like you've had a, a great journey so far. I've been really, I've enjoyed working with you myself. You know, obviously we're quite fortunate that um, we, we have worked together with the charity and, um, you know, to get this opportunity to sort of hear it from, 
from you directly. It's, it's been really great. So tell us where we can find out more about the charity as a, as a so everyone who's listening knows what to find out about the charity. Tell us some social feeds. So um, the website is thecareworkerscharity.org.uk. Twitter is at careworkersfund. Facebook is forward slash thecareworkerscharity. And then there's a LinkedIn one there as well. So, um, you know, what we're really looking for is people to, to get involved in any way they, that they can. So you can contact me, uh, alex at thecareworkerscharity.org.uk or just through the website. Even if you don't know how you can help, but you've got an interest, we've um, been very lucky to win some substantial funding from the CareTech Foundation and have just hired a new person to lead on our volunteer program. So we're going to open up the um, roles for our volunteers and there's going to be uh, quite a big program that will be launching off the back of that. So uh, get in touch. Awesome. Well, we'll be um, posting out uh, from the episode about... The, the links so you'll be able to see what's happening and, and obviously please come back to us with some questions you know we're, we're on Twitter as well at dare to care pod and um, we will be posting out some messages uh, about the charity and about how you can get in touch and find out more keep an eye out for it so Alex thank you Thanks. for your time today and um, look forward to catching up and finding out about your next venture which I'm sure is going to take us all by storm thank and you. um Thanks. Bye for now. Bye-bye.